Welcome to Podcast on Fire and the second part of my interview with stuntman, actor and filmmaker Bruce Fontaine. Familiar to many of you from movies such as Operation Condor, Kickboxer King, Curry and Pepper, etc. This concluding part of the interview uh, has uh, Bruce uh, talking us through the journey of getting back to Vancouver after Hong Kong had done its thing and eventually he set in motion the production on his feature debut as director Beyond Redemption. So there's plenty of making of notes uh, in terms of how he uh, made this uh, independent uh, martial arts action picture. So I'm gonna shut up soon and uh, let Bruce talk. But uh, first of all, some brief contact information. And this is Podcast on Fire on the Podcast on Fire network. And we are located on podcastonfire.com where this show on Hong Kong Cinema New and Old with the occasional interview resides and uh, you can also pick uh, shows that deal with uh, Japanese cinema and Korean cinema uh, in sleazy cinema we do audio commentaries every now and again we have talk ninjas and there are bonus episodes available as well so make a choice over there and if you're a new listener thank you very very much for considering us and taking a chance and if you do like us uh, do let us know uh, podcast on fire at googlemail.com is the email address but if you want to get in touch with us on social media you can do so so by clicking the Facebook button at the top of our website. That will lead you to our page. But on Facebook, we have a discussion group with updates and discussion points. It's called Podcast on Fire Network, so just type that in and you'll reach us. And uh, welcome in. Uh, join us over on Twitter. Click the handy Twitter button for that. Uh, click the iTunes button to subscribe to us on iTunes. Leave a star rating and even a written comment that would very much be appreciated and finally there's the stitcher radio button if you want to stream us on the web uh, the entire network has a place on stitcher radio and uh, if you want to stream us on the go you can download their application available on the apple app store or google play and i write about a variety of hong kong and taiwanese genre movies over at sogoodreviews.com and i video review at sleazykvideo.com and my Twitter handle is at so good review. So there's my nonsense for you. So again, let's cut back to the chat with uh, Bruce. And hope you enjoyed part one. And also enjoy this concluding part two. The, the relocation to Vancouver and, and subsequent uh, credits behind the scenes on stuff like Replicant and Blade, Trinity and iRobot, uh, did, did that come about when you moved back? Or is there a, is there a point where those credits are possible while you're still in Hong Kong? Or, or that but by then you had relocated uh, after your last credit in Hong Kong? Did you relocate uh, shortly after that? Or what was the deal there? Hong Kong, uh, it dried up. Like literally 1991... It was like the film industry just tanked. Mm-hmm. And they were still making films, don't get me wrong, but the the amount of films suddenly just took a big dip. And and stunt guys that I knew weren't working, like Hong Kong stunt guys. They just weren't working as much. Oh, several of the guys that I was close with started to leave Hong Kong. Ken Goodman was one of the first. Um, Vincent Lin uh, left. Steve Tartaglia left. Uh, Jeff Falcon just disappeared. Dan Mintz moved to Beijing because his wife is uh, from Beijing. Um, he started up like a commercial company. Now he's actually doing very well. You know, and I think the only ones left really were Mark King uh, and Mark Houghton. 
Mm-hmm. Ken Goodman actually came back a little while later, but that's he wasn't really doing film. That's a bit of a different story. I, because of life and different things, uh, partly because of Frankie Chan, because I was tied into some film with Lai Ming, which I can't remember the name of it, of Fun and Fury. And, and my, my problem with Frankie was he, he would always start a film and he'd take like close to a year to finish. Wow. And then you'd be contractually obligated because he'd also give you a deposit. And then, you know, I'd say, I got you locked. Da, 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 da. Anyways, I was locked in to do Fun and Fury. But the industry was, nothing was happening. Even IFD for a little while wasn't doing much. Mm-hmm. So I, I honestly, a job fell, it literally fell into my lap for an American firm. So I decided, all right, I'll try something new. You know, and there are a few other motivating factors for me to stay. But I stayed, worked for this uh, American firm. I was traveling into China, uh, going into factories, quality control work, product development, blah, blah, blah. It uh, wasn't what I wanted to do. I'll be honest, for the first year, I was uh, having trouble dealing with it, I guess you could say. But I stayed the course with that company for probably four years until they tanked. I did the odd film here and there, but not a great deal. Uh, I actually got offered several several films with Jackie, um, but because they were always spaced apart, I never took them. I got to be honest, in hindsight, I wish I did it because he asked me to do Police Story 3. Uh, he asked me to do Twin Dragons, and then he asked me to do Drunken Master. Right. Wow. I, in hindsight, I go, fuck, Bruce, why don't you just do it? <laughs> but I was, the problem was I was starving. And sometimes you've you got to pay the rent. For sure. Right? I confirmed because it was paying me really well. But that dried up, and I was at a point where uh, for that manufacturing, it was you're going to have to move further into China. And I've done China enough, to, and especially back then. It's changed now, all right? But back then, I just did not want to stay in China. And there was not much for me to do in Hong Kong. And I took a stab at my own business for a while, but it didn't go so well. So I basically decided, you know what? I, As I understood, Vancouver had really been picking up film-wise. Uh, so I just said, that's it. I packed my bags kind of the way I did when I went to Hong Kong. I said, that's it. On a, on a small footnote, on exactly the same day that I arrived, October 21st, uh, eight years later, October 21st, I left. Wow. Um, Isn't that marvelous? It was just kind of a weird karmic thing because, you know, it was uh, one of those things where I said, oh, I'll get a t- ticket, book this date. And I looked and went, oh, that's the date I arrived. But I'll be honest, when I came back, it was pretty tough. The film industry here back then was what I called the old boys uh, club, and they were mostly cowboys. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, I had whipped myself into shape because I had you know, not trained as much in the last year or so that I was in Hong Kong because of the, the nature of the work I was doing just didn't allow it because I was traveling so much into China. But the fact that I could do you know flips and spin kicks and all that kind of stuff uh, didn't really mean much here. So I had a hard time making a living here. And for the first year or so, honestly, I was getting very sporadic work. And then people would say, oh, well, you're new. You should go do some extra work. And in my head, I'm going, I'm not doing extra work. Also, at that time, I didn't I, – I think I underestimated my worth. Uh, I got to be honest. I probably should have just said, no, screw it. I'm, I'm qualified. I'll be a stunt coordinator. But I didn't, I think, because I was too maybe a little too humble. Uh, but, you know, eventually I started to get work. But uh, I ended up teaching wushu, uh, which wasn't really the plan uh, to pay the rent. And the thing with the wushu, it started to eat up a lot of my time. 
because it's like, all right, I'm only doing two classes. Now I got to teach three classes. All right. Now I'm teaching six classes a week. And next thing I know, I'm teaching like, you know, 20 classes a week or something. About a week after I turned 40, I was doing a wire stunt uh, for a karate dog movie with like Pat Morita. I think it was his last movie. Right. And I got dumped on my shoulder. Ooh. And I snapped the uh, ACL, MCL in my in my collarbone Ooh. so like yeah my collarbone was not uh, was no longer attached and that kind of took me out of it for probably half a year you know and like a week prior someone actually challenged me say hey how many back handsprings can you can you do and i did like you know probably a dozen across a, a soccer field just on kind of a, a whim and i hadn't done it for a while i was like feeling ah, i'm feeling great i'm you know i'm gonna be 40 in a week i can still do this and then like a week, like I said, a week after I turned 40, I got dumped on the wire. But a short while after I recovered, I started getting, and it, it's kind of complicated how it happened, but I, I got called in to do electronic arts, and then I became, uh, for their motion capture department, their main stunt coordinator. So I just kind of shied away from the film industry for a while. I mean, I'd racked up a fair number of credits within the film industry, but with my injury, I wasn't going to be doing flips anymore. And with the age, I was starting to go, I don't know if I want to be doing that kind of stuff. So EA became kind of my steady gig, literally for about five years. And they paid me actually better than the film industry. Um, so that kind of became the main thing I was doing. Was that purely choreography um, or did you perform uh, anything with those uh, balls attached to you? <laughs> Well, I only did one game ever. It was ever. It was kind of a, it was an early online game called Ultima Online. Um, but that's when I was just got back and I think it was like 36 or 37. Everything else I did was purely stunt coordinating. I was, some of it was fight stuff. I did like fight night games and I did, uh, there was a series of Marvel games that I did. And then there was a series of Def Jam fight games. Uh, those ones kept me busy most of the time, but I also did things like army games and, uh, a lot of different sport games a lot of times, the, the thing with stunt coordinating, people don't understand it. A lot of times, it's just about making sure everyone is kept safe. So, you know, it'd be me saying, all right, you want to see something that, like, let's say they say, oh, we want to see, uh, for an army game, people getting hurled in the air because of mortar blast or something like that. Right. So I'd say, all right, we can achieve that by doing this and this. Or they'd say, all right, we got this new soccer game that we want it to be a little more over the top. And we'd uh, I'd say parkour elements. And then I'd, I'd find the right people, and then I'd help facilitate the action. And a lot of times the technical people who develop these games, they're, they're geeky types, so they don't really – they're not martial artists generally. So they don't have the vocabulary or they don't know about stunts. They just know, well, this thing looked cool from this movie. So I'd say, well, to achieve that, we can do this and this. You know, So a lot of times I'd bring in wire teams or we'd have mini tramps or – air rams uh those different things to uh facilitate stunts say flying through the air or whatever to be honest there's very little choreography other than let's say fight combinations and that would vary sometimes it'd be like oh this character's a kickboxer this character's a military guy or this character is a capoeira guy in which case i'd bring in capoeira people or i'd do a game and it'd be wrestling then i'd bring in wrestling people because well i might have some passing knowledge on things like capoeira or wrestling i'm not an expert so i bring in the people that know it well 
and they'd wear the suit with all the little balls and I'd just make sure it's kept safe. So so uh, when all is said and done, how, how did um, behind the scenes work uh, got rolling? Uh, got rolling? I, I don't know if uh, the timeline is correct that Replicant amidst Blade Trinity and iRobot came first, but, but I'm certainly... Uh, quite fond of uh, Ringo Lam's uh, uh, replicant and uh, so so you know there, there was a Hong Kong connection still even though you were not in Hong Kong anymore I trained a lot of actors and stuff and then sometimes say someone would work with say Ching Sudong uh, Byron Manson I trained privately for several years and so I'd meet Ching Sudong and I worked on a film with him uh, John Woo came and did a film called Paycheck and in a funny kind of way, John Woo was doing a film in Mirador Mansions. If you know Mirador Mansions and Jim Sa Joy is kind of like the one building over from Chung King Mansions. Right. And one of his set people said, hey, we forgot to bring some stuff for our production. We're filming one unit over. Can we borrow your clothes? Because so, they had a scene where a guy unpacks a suitcase. It was a John Woo show. So I was saying, yeah, Russian Hong Kong with John Woo is my underpants made it into his movie. Uh, but yeah, I worked for, for him on that and then Ringo Lam. And when I got to talk to them, they were always like, oh, wow, you know, you did Kong, Hong Kong movies. That's pretty cool, right? And the, the, that was kind of an icebreaker. But honestly, you know, when those guys are doing it, uh, especially when they do the Hollywood, it's such a big production. I'm just someone they'll say hi to, and then I'm just like any one of the other stunt guys. Mm-hmm. The thing with Replicant, there was a little bit of what I call stunt politics in there. And then actually, ironically, if you know who Dave Leach is. Uh, no, not too sure. Uh, the director of John Wick and Atomic right. Blonde. That's right. This was his first gig as a stunt guy. Anyways... I was told I would be one of the main stunt doubles, and they, I ended up working not even not even ten percent of what I was initially promised. But I, they, I was again one of probably I think six stunt doubles. Dave Leach being one of them, the main one actually. And uh, uh, I remember Dave going, "Oh, I'm just part of Van Damme's entourage, and even after work, I got to go with him to all the bars and the restaurants and." <laughs> No, because that was Van Damme at his peak, right? But yeah, that film, I was just one of, like, there was literally, because it was, you know, two times the fun, double Van Damme, right? You know, he had probably two fight doubles, me and Dave Leach. Then he had a car double. Then he had uh, a double for any, like, big kind of stunty type falls. But honestly, uh, I remember one day I wasn't working and I get called in and I'm told, get to set right away. And I'm like, what's the problem? Uh, I wasn't called in for today. And they're like, well, uh, Ringo's really pissed at Van Damme because Van Damme did a no-show. Yeah, like he didn't show up one day. And he said, and Ringo's threatened him that he will film all the action with just Dave and I. But honestly, most of the time, I just stood around going, uh, you want me to move a mat there for you, Mr. Uh, Van Damme? Because it was mostly him and uh, Dave Leach. Yeah, and to be honest, also at that time, I, I think I wasn't as enamored with the film industry it was just all right i got a you know i got a couple days pay here i'm gonna make a few thousand or whatever it is and I, i'll be quite honest I'm, i've never been a huge van damme fan i mean i appreciate what he can do and stuff but i'm just never been a huge fan i've never really liked the films uh except for maybe time cop yeah for me it's this era from sort of replicant and onwards when when neither ringo or him were 
part of the huge Hollywood machine anymore. I mean, uh, I, I don't remember anything about Maximum Risk, but I have more fond memories of Replicant than In Hell because they were working... I don't know, it, it seems like it clicked a little bit more on screen, the, their working relationship, especially In Hell. I'm quite a fun, uh, fan of that uh, prison movie where we got uh, Jean-Claude to act a little bit more, but uh, even at his peak, uh, Jean-Claude's... Uh, those movies were... Sometimes good, sometimes not. And Time Cop, you're probably right. That that is the one that sticks out, sticks out as more entertaining uh, in the long run. But uh, let's jump ahead a little bit uh, because yeah, you, you log credits and what have you. But uh, you eventually got a or crafted a uh, directing gig for yourself uh, beyond redemption uh, but i'm saying that without knowing any history uh, this uh, feature debut as director so was this story and project brewing for a while in you or in someone else that brought it to you or how um, or how did it come um, come to be when all was said and done beyond redemption uh, I'm, I'm not gonna name any names but even back in hong kong it was my goal to be a filmmaker i'll be honest when I went to Hong Kong, I always understood that Hong Kong films are essentially for a Asian market. They're not going to take me or anyone else. And some of the other Westerners were maybe a little delusional because they thought otherwise. But they're not going to take us and make us into stars. They're there to support their stars, make their stars look good, right? Whether it's us being the guy that gets beat up or whatever the case is, we're there to support their stars, that being said, I knew they're not going to develop me into a, a, a Tom Cruise or anything like that, right? Uh, especially back at that time. But I always liked what I saw, and I knew that when I watched, say, uh, Dragons Forever, for example, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, um, I knew that there's a big difference between the way they did the choreography and the fighting, the filming, the editing, the framing was very different than, say, Chuck Norris' Octagon. I knew there was a difference, but I didn't know how it was achieved. And one of the, the underlying goals for me when I went to Hong Kong was to learn that. When I was in Hong Kong, uh, I actually wanted to do my own production. In fact, I, I have one. It's called Big Shiny Guns. Uh, we actually had uh, some investment from, from Jackie's group. Uh, one of Jackie's uh, ADs, assistant directors, and I were going to partner up on it. I won't go into all the reasons, but it, it fell through. So point being, though, is I, I've always had that goal. And one of my motivations in going to Hong Kong was to learn about what they do. As uh, I think the expression is, life is what happens when you're busy making other plans. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I came back to Canada, I was mostly concerned about just paying the rent. I wanted to do a film, and I had actually, when I got back to Canada, I was hustling to get something done. In fact, everyone was going, wow, you got a lot of hustle. You're just always pushing it. But, you know, it was hard. And at that time, people had this kind of attitude, we're a stunt guy. And I was like, well, I'm not really a stunt guy. I'm an action actor, filmmaker. Um, but here in Canada, there's like a very different mentality. When you talk to them about, especially them, because Jackie hadn't done Rumble in the Bronx. They just thought of, you know, it's that kung fu chop socky stuff, right? Mm, yeah. And so when I'm saying I want to make a film and I'm trying to find funding, nobody would listen. Fast forward. Uh, after the years of Wushu, EA, doing you know stunts and different films here and so on, some things happened and I just had a important life-changing thing in that I became a father a little bit later in life. And I just said, you know, I need to make some changes. 
by coincidence, one of my wife's friends had a house. They're very wealthy mainland Chinese people. And they said, hey, we're going back to China, but we're going to keep our house. Can you here's the keys. Can you check in once in a while? Make sure it doesn't get broken into or something. So one day we're in the house, the wife and I, and I said, can I make a movie here? She asked and they said, yeah, go ahead. And my original idea was to build a project uh, around my resources. And that's a classic, uh, classic uh, reasoning for going into movies as as a new director. You, you hear stories of when Rodriguez made El Mariachi. He he yes. listed all he had: a guitar, a turtle, a bus, and off you go and create. Exactly. I went. I said, I've got a house. I had a garage and a warehouse. Mm-hmm. And we 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 struggled to find the other things, but we eventually found what we needed. Also, because of my background, you know, working in Hong Kong, which is much smaller productions, a little bit of guerrilla filmmaking, if, if your listeners understand that term, I literally uh, just started picking out, say, ex- um, exterior locations going, I can film a short scene here and be done before the police or anyone comes. <laughs> right. So we literally just figured out our our, our locations and resources and. Uh, because of my years in both stunts and teaching uh, with the wushu, uh, I knew just seriously every Asian stunt guy in the city. Part of my my vision with this film was I wanted to make something that was a bit of a homage to the Hong Kong films that I had worked in and the, the, the genre that I really enjoyed. And it's a little bit, I guess you could say, world creation. So we made it almost entirely uh, Chinese-Canadian. Mm-hmm. And except for one or two parts, there are no non-Asians in the film. But it's again, it's it's a homage to to Hong Kong films. Uh, I approached a friend who was a writer, and I just said, "This is what I want. These are my resources." I said, "You can't have exploding helicopters. You cannot do the big shootout from heat. You know, we're not blocking off the major street or anything." And I would just say, "Keep it within these confines." And then I spoke to, again, every Asian stunt guy in the city. The the main leads, I had already figured out who I wanted. I also decided to do what I had witnessed in Hong Kong with people like Jackie Chan, Jet Li, Donnie Yen. Approach people on their physical skill sets first, not their acting. My film was done for, seriously, <laughs> well under 100,000 Canadian. Wow. Well under, right? And because of that, I knew I'm not going to have the time to take some actor and and train him. These stunt people that I hired, the main ones, the principal ones that we brought in are Brian Ho, Don Liu, and Paul Wu. Those were our first hits. They've done tons of films. They've got huge, you know, huge credit lists. Uh, and they're also friends of mine ever since I came back to Canada. Uh, in fact, Brian Ho was my student for, for a few years in Wushu. Um, but we picked them on their, their physical assets. I thought, you know, these are the type of guys that can be crafted into Donnie Yen type roles or, you know, Jackie type roles. So basically I got my writer, got my cast, the ones that we had to do, like say casting auditions and so on. We had no problem because we had so many people wanted to come on board on this film. Um, we actually got three prominent, uh, Chinese Canadian YouTubers, uh, they all basically came on board. Everybody worked for free, uh, except for Eddie Coe. And Eddie Coe said he'd do it for free, but his agent demanded some money. 
Was he, uh, did, did you cast him out of Hong Kong or was he based in Canada at that time? Eddie Cole uh, lives in Richmond. Uh, his son and daughter-in-law and grandchildren are here. So when he's not filming, he stays in Richmond. But he does film a lot, you know, in China and Hong Kong. Um, so whenever he's not filming, he's good friends with uh, one of our leads is a, a gentleman named Tony Toe who plays the uh, triad father in the film. So Tony talked to Eddie, and Eddie and I had met each other a couple times. So Eddie said, yeah, I'll help you. I'll come on board. Uh, but we ran into some difficulty with his agent. His agent demanded that he got paid something. So we, we paid him, which is basically the, uh, the daily minimum. But everybody else basically volunteered their time. What a wonderful uh, gathered attitude. Uh, because you never know about that. If, if, if someone is going to come out onto an indie flick, then... Uh, they they have might have perceived uh, notions of what you get uh, other than experience, and that is a little bit of pay. But uh, I'm I'm glad you got a gathered good attitude about um, and, uh, and people that wanted to create. One, one of the things I'll add for people that are not Caucasian in say Hollywood type scenarios or or in Canada, which is largely Hollywood productions, if you're not Caucasian. You know, they, they often get allocated to certain stereotype roles. And, yeah, people could accuse my film of being stereotyped because it's gangsters and martial arts in it. But they they don't usually get anything prominent. So all of these guys, they, they actually got the opportunity to be the lead, mm-hmm. got the opportunity to stretch themselves. And I had no trouble uh, convincing anybody. They all just said, I'm on. In fact, even before I even talked about money, several of them said, don't worry, you don't have to pay me anything because they all knew we didn't have much money. Uh, for them, I, I think part of their motivation was they're getting an opportunity that doesn't often come to them. Uh, they're getting a chance to shine. You know, they trusted me in terms of at least the action, you know, because for the storytelling, they didn't know yet. But, you know, we had a decent crew and stuff. Uh, so they knew it was going to get executed. But, you know, like El Mariachi, we, we had our problems with scheduling because most of these guys work. And like, say, with Brian Ho, our lead, he said, oh, you got me for this one month, but then I go to work on the Marco Polo Netflix series and I'll be gone for half a year. So we scheduled them, but right in the middle of our filming, uh, one of the local productions, I think it's like Tomorrowland or Tomorrow People or something, had what we often called the Asian episode. So... <laughs> They, they're doing their, their their weekly episode and they film, they usually take like seven to ten days to film an episode. And it's like, boom, there goes all the Asian guys. That's my film, right? Um, so Brian got sucked up. And it was like, so we lost several scenes with Brian. Uh, one of our other leads is a young man who was actually, again, also a, a former Wushu student named Osric Chow. And Osric works on a, or worked on a TV series called Supernatural and does a lot of these Comic-Con events where they pay him quite well to, to show up mm-hmm. and he'd be like uh you remember i said i was free next week i'm gone for six weeks and so we were oftentimes doing what i call rodriguez filming uh, i got this location but i don't have oz so we're going to film everything on this side of the room and when oz comes back we'll film on that side of the room so we we're constantly dealing with issues like you know people scheduling as as actors or stunt performers or even even the ones that had like regular jobs um so it was a lot of rodriguez experiences uh for us in that um 
I'm not comparing my film to say El Mariachi, but we had a lot of similar experiences. It was just constantly juggling. Well, it's mirroring a little bit of your Hong Kong experiences in a way too, where, where everything sort of comes full circle. That uh, you, you called in, well, 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 they called in when it was uh, convenient for them, of course, and you you, you had to show up. But 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 it, but it's that fra- fractured nature of filmmaking. I'm uh, I'm talking about, and and I guess you you just gotta stay. You know, that's the moment of truth, I suppose, where you stay focused and believe that this can be done. We just uh, need to have patience uh, in the front lobe of our brain and uh, and uh, and focus and what have you. Yeah, well, we were also dealing with the wife and I. She's uh, my wife's a was a wushu person in her younger times. She's younger than me, but in her younger times, and we ran a school together, and we were coming up on the end of the lease on our building. You know, so I was still running a school and we had just had our second child. And so we had an understanding she would only come in and take care of the school when I was actually filming. But if I was doing anything like, let's say, related to pre-production or, 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 you know, production work, getting ready, scheduling or editing or whatever, uh, she wouldn't take over teaching. So I would still be teaching while I was trying to film uh, in between and juggling everybody's schedules. And then our lease finished and I was packing up a school, uh, while I was executing this movie. So there were literally, there was a couple spots where I was going on like, you know, three, four hour nights of sleep. But you know, the long story short, uh, we had a really good team, really a lot of support. I'm amazed sometimes that we actually got it finished, but I'll be honest, I had a uh, a certain amount of conviction that I was going to do this no matter what. Mm-hmm. Um, and my head, I was like, I got to just make this thing happen and not bragging, but to, to our credit, uh, because I have a lot of friends that are filmmakers and in Canada, there's this, um, thing where filmmakers here tend to do what I call festival favorites. Mm-hmm. They, they never see any commercial success. And to our credit, you know, we sold 20 countries, uh, well-go. The, the, the very friendly to Hong Kong movies, uh, indeed, uh, especially new releases, uh, well-go are on immediately for American distribution, and I'm sure Canadian too. Yeah, well, they picked us up. And I was like, we actually got an offer from uh, Grindstone as well as well-go. And I was like, oh, geez, I didn't think we'd get either one of these. And I was quite flattered that Wellgo would take us because, you know, Wellgo takes Yip Man. Wellgo takes whatever Jackie does. Wellgo takes some of the, the Hong Kong dramatic action infernal affairs type movies. So I was like, I was like, wow, I'm really flattered by this. You know, and we got some, you know, the pay-per-view iTunes, all that kind of stuff within U.S. and Canada. Uh, they did a Blu-ray DVD release and we got into Walmart, uh, Target, Barnes & Noble. We've been sold to China, India, parts of Europe, the Middle East, most of Southeast Asia. Budget, like seriously, no budget, independent Canadian film. Uh, I think we've done very well with it. We're not making huge money, uh, but we're in profit. You know, the little bit of investment I had uh, from my investors is is getting repaid. And I know a lot of Canadian films that don't do that. They'll go and they'll do very well in the festivals, you know, like say TIFF or VIF, Vancouver International Film Festival, the Toronto International Film Festival, but they never see the light of day in terms of getting distribution outside of Canada. So I always like to kind of 
you know, these days say, well, we, we did something. And it's, uh, I'll be honest, it's opening some doors for me. You know, we're talking to two different Hong Kong companies that want to do stuff. We have a, a deal pending with Cineplex uh, for a film. There's a couple other companies I'm talking with right now. And these are people that probably wouldn't have returned my call two or three years ago. There you go. I mean, that's a wonderful example of uh, you, you were talking about conviction and in getting it made. And, and that's that's a vision. But now you have ripples that you necessarily couldn't map out, uh, map out beforehand. And w- whatever it leads to, if it leads to anything, you, you have tons to reflect back on that through our conviction and vision and uh, desire to get it done independently. And now there's already been ripples. I mean, it's almost like it's a victory lap by this point, but uh, you're clearly not done uh, also is the point. Yeah, well, and, and I will add one thing, and, and I'm not knocking Canadian filmmakers who, who want to make that Canadian feel-good movie, but I've been doing lots of seminars and stuff on distribution and finance and trying to figure out that part of the game. One of the things that I came to understand is action films sell very well internationally, low budget. And my feeling was, okay, I'm not going to be able to, given my resources, do like say a Tarantino Reservoir Dogs. I'd love to, but I just, I don't have Harvey Keitel and, you know, these type (laughs) of people. But I knew action sells. And I know that there is still a fan base out there that will go to see Jackie, go to see Donnie Yen, like will go to see these kind of films. And I thought, I'm not going to make as big a dent as a, you know, Flashpoint, right? But if I do something in that genre, I figure I had a far better chance than if I did that Canadian feel-good story. My thing is, I've got lots of stories that I think are, are feel-good type stories, coming-of-age stories, whatever. At this point in my career and life, I'm not the guy to tell those stories. Mm-hmm. I've got a particular skill set, given my Hong Kong experience. And I should focus on that. Um, you know, there's a bit of a, an art and a craft to, to doing, say, action scenes. And for the most part, except for a few people like the people who execute, say, John Wick, the exception of them, there's not a lot of people that are capable of that in the film world. Oh, oh yeah. We, we sure know it as uh, viewers as well. There's, uh, it, which is one, was one of the things I admired about Beyond Redemption, that uh, within the action Kept, uh, scenes there was this notion of shooting matters with clarity as your focus and not the over edited chaotic frenetic uh, f- field of action scenes that more big action productions because they think that's what makes intensity uh you know blurriness literally and uh, not being able to follow the action so if, if you t- if you tap into that the clarity then you got a good head on your shoulders and you you know what is more watchable because it literally is watchable. Yeah, well, that that's that that was my whole thing. Is I, I know I can deliver that. You know, we tried to do some other things, but we got a tight budget. I mean, I, I love say Tony Scott, so I gave it a little bit of a Tony Scott vibe. Mm-hmm. But I know the little bits of Tony Scott vibe aren't going to sell the film. I knew it was the action scenes. In fact, we had at one point twenty distributors wanted the film before we settled on the one that we went with. Several of them actually said to me. We want whatever you do next. Just they had one request, and I said, "What?" And literally, there's like five companies said this: more action, you know. And with, even with our film, you know, because I wasn't paying the performers, 
uh, I didn't want to trash them. Uh, you know, I, I would love to have gone a little bit more and say like the raid, but I wasn't paying them. Right. I didn't have like, you know, uh, Gareth, I think it was had like a million dollars us in Indonesia. I didn't pay my people. So I'm like, okay, I can't trash anyone. We had a few good hits and falls, but not to that level. But I think, you know, we, for what we had, I think we delivered, you know, some good solid action scenes. Uh, the next one will have people to uh, money to pay people. And I'll be like, yeah, now you are going to fall down those stairs or whatever. <laughs> it's, uh, be, being such a small production. And I mean, you have assigned crew for, you know, stunts and fights, but uh, be, being such a small production, what was it a matter of we all have to collaborate or you were confident enough to let your uh, uh, action director do his thing and you because in Hong Kong you I'm sure you uh, discovered this that the main directors of the movies normally don't choreograph the action because you have the action director there to call the shots on the set but uh, on beyond redemption was it a collab- collaborative thing where you were hands on with uh, the choreography as well let's let's put it this way i my main guy for choreography was andrew chin that's right my stunt coordinator was uh, daryl kwan and then Brian Ho and Don Liu had quite a bit of uh, input and help. The, the, I guess the main difference, and, and this is not me knocking Andrew or Brian or anybody, their experience is very Hollywood. And a lot of times they come up with, say, a fight scene, and it's kind of, and, and I, I see it all the time with the Canadian Hollywood productions I've been on, uh, you guys go over there, make up a fight, and then we figure the, the the director and the camera people try to figure out how to shoot it. Now there are people say like the people that did John Wick that will do pre visualizations, uh, which is my big thing. What I did was I would say I want certain things in certain spots, and then I would work with say Andrew and I go, no, I'm going to frame it in such a way you have to do certain things a certain way. Um, like say, for example, our hallway fight, I said at one point, I want to see our guy backpedaling and the guys are kind of on top of them, kind of, you know, punching, kicking, punching, kicking. So I'd say certain things I want certain ways, or I'd say, show them a clip. And I honestly, I was referencing a lot of say flashpoint and I'd say, I want a frame like this, fill the frame. And I'd say, I want seven or eight moves. And then I would say, I'm going to cut, I'm going to go to another angle. So a lot of times I give them references and I'd say, I want it framed in a certain way. I'd say like, I'm going to be wide, give me this certain move. And I'd say, I'm going to be tight. So I don't want to say, I don't want to say, say kicks, right? Uh, It's just an exchange of punches. So I give them guidance, but honestly, they would fill in all the spots. The other thing I've learned over the years, um, especially if you're familiar with your performers, you want to find out what they're good at, what they're comfortable with, and don't try to force them into a box in terms of movement. You know, say some guys aren't good at kicks. Well, don't force them to do kicks because they're just going to look bad, and ultimately your film looks bad, right? Uh, so I'd say, okay, you know, let's let's find out what they do well. Like I'm working actually now on a, a Hong Kong Canadian co-pro, and one of the, the shortcomings for the film was we never got to meet the talent uh, until the very last minute. And one of the boys who's a lead is a, a wushu guy from the Hong Kong wushu team, but his background is, has to this point been pretty much strictly wushu. Mm-hmm. So kicks that, uh, let's say, are more like, say, taekwondo or kickboxing, he's not 
the best at. So we had choreographed stuff more with kind of generic kickboxing, Taekwondo type kicks, and he's not as comfortable with them. So we had to modify our, our action a lot. In the case of Beyond Redemption, Don Liu's a, a, a good friend for many years. Brian, I had taught for several years, so I knew his ability and skill set. So a lot of the choreography would be done to fit those performers. So, you know, in long story short, it, it was very much collaboration, but I, I will say I was very specific about what I wanted. I just would say, you fill in the blanks, mm-hmm. right? Fill my frame for me. And I was very specific about what I wanted in say a certain frame and I I already knew where I was going to cut stuff and we had uh, not for every fight which is one of the things I regret uh, but we prevised our, our hallway fight and our ending fight everything else we did on the fly and I always wish uh, I feel happy about the hallway fight I feel happy about the ending fight the other fights I'm, I'm fine with but I wish we had the time to previs them Yeah, that's the uh, thing you take with you that you don't always, you know, in the moment can either realize or you know it's you don't have the uh, the ability to realize it as as great as you see it. So I mean, but but those are the things you take with you, and and yeah. you sound like the man who who'd rather move forward with the knowledge you gained and the experience you gained and then put put that to use for the future projects. So uh, it it but you know it's an important asset I think to, in any creator. To be able to say, I know what worked and I know what didn't. And and that's yeah. not a slight towards anyone. It's just that these were the circumstances and I, I simply know what didn't work, therefore. Yeah, no, that's exactly it. So uh, in terms of, uh, you, I mean, you hinted at uh, upcoming projects and what have you, at, and you're working on stuff to hopefully get into production again. But uh, is there, therefore... Uh, is is everything on lockdown in terms of official information or is there anything uh, you can share with uh, the listeners of uh, what's coming up in your world like i said it's opened a lot of doors the distributor that we are with uh, premier entertainment is offering what's called mgs minimum guarantees and potential pre-sales which helps us with financing we have a couple of what i call b-genre international action films uh And we, I, I don't, I don't want to say any names, but we this time we'll have what would be known as bankable names right. uh, attached to the films. We we've been in some discussions with some agents about you know bankable talent, and we, like I said, we I I like to think outside the box, and we're targeting kind of B international action films, but two of the other types of uh, well types of films that I'm trying to do are specifically for China market and specifically for the Indian market. I don't know if you know, but I've worked on a couple Punjabi films. I did not, uh, I, no. I took over direction for a Punjabi film called Killer Punjabi. It is not a well-executed film, I'll be quite honest, and I came on board literally for like the last 10% of the film. Right. Uh, so there's a fallout between the producer slash star and the director. And then I did some... Uh, wire stunt work uh, as a coordinator for a fairly popular film called Sardarji, kind of like a Punjabi Ghostbusters. But what it did for me working with these Punjabi filmmakers was I learned a lot about that market. And at the moment, probably the film, I've got two that look like we're close to getting to where we need to be to go to camera uh, or into pre-production rather. Um, but one of them is a what I call a Punjabi John Wick, 
It is essentially, we have a, a bankable star attached. We have a pending deal with Cineplex, so it'll see theatrical. And it's basically retired gangster gets pulled back in and him and his old mates uh, have a run-in with uh, Russian gangsters. And that one uh, will have a significantly larger budget. It'll be, uh, how shall I say, a little bit of Baby Driver, if you know the recent film Baby Driver. And that will have some car chases. Uh, it'll have some, you know, gun gun scenes. It will have uh, some inspiration from a lot of Korean films, say like, you know, The Berlin File. Because uh, I, I watch all kinds of films. So that's probably next. If not, we have a um, prison break-in film, uh, which would be our B, uh, what I call the B International film, which will be a little more of an international cast. But again, I can't, I can't say anything because we haven't signed contracts or anything. Those, those are the two I'm pushing. They'll, they'll both be heavy on the action. We'll spend more time in our pre-production because honestly, Beyond Redemption, when I decided to do it, because of my timeline with Brian Ho, our lead, and he was going to head off. We were literally maybe two months, three months at the most uh, between writing the script and going to camera. Like we literally just said, let's get the script done. And we just turned it out. Let's, you know, lock locations and, and all that kind of stuff. With these other films, we'll put a little more time into it. In fact, the Punjabi John Wick film, we've, been working on the script for probably eight months now there you go wow what what a change up in uh working experience but working experience that one takes to heart because there you then you have a different spectrums of uh of how to conceive and execute uh either uh, with a generous amount of time or no time at all so uh get, getting that experience i'm sure is uh it's going to be valuable because uh, you've been uh, you've been working against the clock uh, before but uh, yeah, and then we've got other projects that we're we're, we're I'm headed to um, uh, a couple film festivals, and I'm going to Hong Kong in the spring, and then off to Beijing, and I'm going to Hong Kong for the Hong Kong film market, and I've got meetings with the people that we've been in discussions with for a couple projects, which will be kind of like a kind of like Hong Kong mixed with Western cast and so on. We have one which I I really hope can go. It's a uh, Let's just say Guy Ritchie gangsters mashed up with Wong Jing naked killer. <laughs> yeah, that was a coincidence. I'm actually uh, planning to finally put my uh, thoughts on naked killer into writing. I've seen the movie a bunch of times, but I haven't actually written a review of it. So that, that was a coincidence. I, I did my prep on that um, uh, tonight, uh, going from memory, because I'm a big fan of uh, the garish nature of uh, of the uh, or colorful nature of uh, naked killer. Yeah, well, it's it's Asian female, or uh, or rather Asian fetish female assassins versus on their last chance bumbling gangsters. Right. <laughs> yeah. So, so, so after the Wong Jing, it was uh, was an is an asset, uh, especially back back then, though an asset to Hong Kong action cinema and Hong Kong comedy. So uh, that's a mixture that uh, could work in the right hands for sure. Yeah. So th- those are things we're we're pushing right now. I'm in my different phase of life and it's all about the hustle yeah well you you've used you're using past chapters as you craft your new chapters as well uh, and we, which is wonderful there there are 
there are new uh, eras, uh, if you will, uh, uh, to to create and uh, new challenges to explore. So I, I I like the sound of that because I I, I like to listen to any creator who's uh, who's uh, plugging along and uh, crafting his or her own path. And uh, this is certainly an example of it. So be be sure to reflect on that as uh, uh, every now and again, Bruce. That uh, you're ch- chugging along uh, forward and not uh, moving moving in a circle. No, no, no. I'm all about the forward, and uh, you know, as I often say, certain things are in the rearview mirror. Well, I'm I'm very pleased and uh, happy that you took the time to to take us from an origin point and to this current point, and uh, to fill us uh, to fill us in along the way. That was a treat for me to, uh, you know, as a fan and someone who likes to look behind the curtain to to a degree uh, uh, as as much as it is allowed because certain information should not be spoiled of course and should be kept under wraps but I'm very thankful for you taking the time Bruce uh, to uh, to enlighten me and our listeners uh, and uh, getting us up to the current point and uh, you know you you you've kicked off a new chapter and it's going to be fun to uh, follow what um, follow what happens next I, I hope I have something to show for uh, for it soon That's it, folks. And I hope uh, this was a nice and fun overview for you, just like it was for me, listening and interviewing. Because if anything, it showcases that you have several creative chapters left in you. So with that inspiration, hopefully firmly planted in you in some shape or form, I hope uh, you'll craft your creative chapters for many, many years to come. But at any rate, thank you again to Bruce Fontaine for taking the time to chat with us and uh, i'm signing off for now uh, your host kenny b but uh, for all your podcast on fire network needs though go to podcastonfire.com the relevant links that uh, are uh, relevant to the show will be in the show post but otherwise all social media links and what have you are available on that very site podcastonfire.com so thank you very very much and uh, this was another fun interview to to research to do and uh, it was a lovely lovely thing and uh, i had a lovely lovely time chatting with uh, bruce fontaine so thank you again to bruce thank you everybody for listening and uh, this is gonna be signing off hope you enjoyed and bye-bye